0: Welcome to Family Stories Podcast, where stories are always told by those who lived them. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host in beautiful Colorado Springs. Thanks for listening. Have you ever talked to somebody who's come very close to losing their life? Well, today I'll be doing just that. I'm not sure if this is a uh, story of survival or miracles, and perhaps it's a little bit of both, but in either case... It's really pretty amazing. My guest today, after receiving his master's degree and completing other postgraduate studies, began his career in education that spanned 25 years. And then he went into business, became a VP of a very successful dot com in San Francisco, and then served as a managing director at a nonprofit firm, a CEO in a land development company. Well, many things. This guy has quite a business career, and at some point he transitioned to things that were maybe a little more ministerial and became the pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Illinois. And then in 2004, uh, he became the executive pastor of Woodman Valley Chapel, a multi-campus church here in uh, Colorado Springs, and he is the pastor also of Of uh, monument campus of Woodman Valley Chapel, and that's where I met Doug. So welcome, Doug, to the podcast today.
1: Well, thank you very much. Good to be here.
0: Doug, it's nice to have you. His name is Doug Olson, and now we're going to get to some of the really important stuff. Doug is a 68-year-old, physically fit, Man, <laughs> which in part may be uh, what precipitated his story. It's even more remarkable, the ending uh, with a guy who's not a kid anymore, Doug. Uh, yes. You, you've, uh, you've you've traveled a few miles. First of all, tell me just a little bit about your family.
1: Well, yes, I have a wife of some 46, 47 years and I love her dearly. We have three grown children in their 30s and this day and age, uh, all very gainfully employed and doing well.
0: Well, we have a, one grandson. Oh, one. Well, you've got to get five more for the catch know, up with me. So I know. you got a little ways to go. You love the outdoors. You love to do crazy things. Tell me about I've heard something about your Harley collection, your Harley Davidson collection. Tell me something about that.
1: Well, I am a motorcycle aficionado, if you would. And uh-huh. for a while I also did corporate speaking, and one of the companies I hooked up with was. Harley-Davidson. And so I would do their national events and their local events all around the country. And so when you work for Harley and you're someone who really loves motorcycles, it's probable that you'll end up with a few Harleys, And which I have. We've traveled in all but two states across country. I've been to Alaska and back and all on Harleys.
0: <laughs> now that's why you say physically fit if you're going to do the things that you do you got to be
1: in shape to do them i think so yes
0: so tell me about this other club the 14er club what does that mean exactly
1: well it's a it's not really a club it's just uh i guess it's bragging rights there are 50 some of them i've done almost uh let's see 33 of them now
0: now 50 of them what <laughs> in the continental united states no
1: just in colorado colorado has a distinction of having a number of very large mountains that are on or above 14,000 feet.
0: And you've made it up to the top of how many?
1: Uh, I think 33 right now. And
0: I'll tell you, the thought of it uh, just <coughs> makes me not even want to think. <laughs> I don't think I want to climb to the top of 14,000-foot mountains and more. I'm sure some of them are higher than that even. That kind of puts us in a position of what happened to you in June of 2016. Tell, tell me... Where you were, who you were with, and what you were doing.
1: Well, oh, great. Well, we're also avid uh, backpackers. And so it's still early in the season in June to do 14ers. Many of them are snowbound. And so my friend and I decided to go and combine our love of backpacking with climbing. The Sangria de Cristos are a beautiful, beautiful mountain range. And on, in that mountain range, they have a range of 13ers, meaning not 14,000 feet, but 13,000 feet up. There's a beautiful area called Brush Lake area in the Sangre de Cristos. And that takes you up to a place called Brush Lake where you can camp. And once you make what we consider a base camp there, you can go off and you can go about another mile and there's a series of 13ers that you can climb. So my friend Dan, who is a genuine, thorough, well-experienced mountaineer, and I hiked in that first day. That's probably about an eight-hour hike. It was um, a very difficult hike, one that not a lot of people go in, especially in June. June is wintry and summer, if you would, so there's still a lot of snow in it, and it's what's called a blowdown area, where atmospherically speaking, sometimes the trade winds have dipped down to that forest and leveled it.
0: Really? trees
1: down all over. So it's a very difficult hike to get into Brush Lake. Does
0: this require like ropes and things like that? No, not that. Just you can
1: imagine a trail full of fallen trees to go around and this, that, and the other thing. So it's an ambitious hike and we did it well. Got to Brush Lake, probably late afternoon, set up base camp and caught some fish and had some supper and went to bed for the evening to rest up for what we were going to do is one for one er
0: Now, how far out in the boonies were you?
1: Oh, we were probably a good eight miles out. Um, we hadn't seen anybody the whole way. It's not a popular hike because of its uh, uniqueness and difficulty.
0: So then what happened?
1: Well, we got up that morning and uh, had a hearty breakfast and then started our hike toward the range of the thirteeners. That probably took us, I don't know, that was probably a mile, mile and a half we got to the first one, which we already identified, and that's called um Lake. They all have different names. And so we proceeded to climb or scale the thirteener called Lake. We got to the top, climbed back down, and it was still rather early. That just took several hours. And so we said, well, we're right here. Let's climb another thirteener. So we went over to one called Thirsty. And it wasn't so much a saddle, but you had to walk over to it. And we proceeded to climb to the top of a 2nd thirteener. Now, contextually speaking, it's interesting. When you get to the top of the 13-ers and 14-ers, there's a book that often you can sign and write your name in. Well, no one had climbed those in nine months. So you can see it was a very, very rural and a very uh, scarcely populated area for hiking. That's why we never saw anyone. So on the way down... Uh, again, when you hike in June, it's winter hiking and summer hiking. And so there are avalanche chutes. And what we do to save time is you go into the snow filled avalanche chutes and you have a NAS pick and you sit on your rear and you you slide down and you oh, can really? you can save up to an hour doing that and you use your pick. To steer yourself,
0: I've seen that on television. Yes,
1: yeah, it really, it happens, and it's a great, it's fun, and it saves a lot of time. Well, at this point, uh, we had to climb down to the avalanche pit or the uh, chute itself, uh, crevasse, and we noticed it was a big one. It was about two hundred yards because we had all the equipment that tell us how many yards it was, etc. But when we got into it, we noticed it wasn't snow covered; it was snow covered and rock covered. Just in June, you have a lot of snow coverings where rocks are starting to show their ugly face and jet out of the snow.
0: I've seen that skiing a few times.
1: Yes, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So at that point, uh, we said, we can't do this because it's way too dangerous. So we started to climb out. We had to climb a little rock face to get out, climbed up on a path that was right beside the avalanche chute. That's- now, is
0: this like a <clears throat> a steep cliff that you were looking at?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, these this avalanche shoot. I mean, you needed an ice pick. You had to slow you down. Had it been full of snow and not rocks, it would have been quite quick to get down because of the icy nature of June snow. Mm-hmm. So we got up to the side, and my buddy, uh, our experienced climber, went in front of me. I went behind him, and that's the last I re- recall anything. So now Dan picks up the story, if you would, telling me what happened. He said suddenly he saw me fly into drop into the avalanche chute very quickly. It was very steep. First thing he said is my head hit a rock and split open.
0: Oh, and he saw that he could. <clears> tell he saw that, that. He, that happened? he saw that right there then.
1: And he said it was a very very serious hit. And then you just talking about me tumbled down 200 yards, hitting rock after rock after rock.
0: So you, you fell. You tumbled for 600 feet.
1: Y- yep, right down to the to the bottom. Not. He said I was unconscious after the first hit. And so he then watched the whole thing and watched me stop at the bottom against some rocks. And, uh, later he told me he went down, um, to bury me because he thought it killed he, you Yeah, he, he thought I was dead. And of course you're so far out and that time of year, everything's coming, wildlife is quite prominent now coming back from hibernation and stuff. And so if you don't want to get, forgive the phrase, eaten, you have to be right buried. Yeah, or, or some critter out there, mountain yeah. lion, etc. And so he came down to do that, and he saw me. And, you know, he has no medical training, but he's a smart guy. So he saw that my head, the time my head was split open into four sections, flapped down. So he put them all back, took my beanie, stuck it back on my head, and all of a sudden I came to. Really? Yeah. He said it shocked him. Because
0: <laughs> he, I mean, he he thought you he actually thought you were gone.
1: Yeah, he thought I was gone from what what he witnessed, and so that is the first miracle of the day. You know, I'm a pastor. I uh, speak of miracles and teach of miracles, but now I am one. And so,
0: so we, living through the fall was yeah, miracle number right, one. Two
1: hundred yards getting bounced and uh, back and forth the rocks was the first one. Well, uh, it took a while for us both to understand what was happening. I was, I had a concussion in all my unconscious state, if you would, and then I was dizzy. and.
0: Now so when you came to, did you know anything then?
1: No, I had no idea where I was. I don't, didn't know that I had fallen. I didn't, I kept asking questions. Where am I? Why am I here? Why are you here? So he took a while and finally he felt that I was well enough to find out what the rest of the damage was after seeing me fall because he was assured that I had multiple broken bones throughout my body. And he said, can you move? And I said, yeah. So, you know, you start to move your feet and your fingers and all of a sudden I can move all those things. He said, well, can you stand up? So he hoisted me up and I stood up and he says, you don't have any broken bones? But apparently, no, which was the second miracle, because he watched me go down 200 yards and bounce to and fro from rocks. So then he said, and I don't remember any of this, of course. He said, okay, we have to get back to base camp, and then we'll decide what to do. I don't remember any of that walk. He said I was delirious, asking foolish questions, stumbling. So, so
0: you, were, you were walking the whole time.
1: Yeah, the whole time. You, you from didn't the know
0: it, but you were actually walking.
1: Right, right. and I didn't know that, but suddenly... I did come more to a conscious state when we reached base camp. And that was the first time I think I could really talk to him and we can talk about what we were going to do. So, so, I mean,
0: we, you're out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Correct. Nobody around. No. I mean, you're just talking about little tiny trails through correct. the forest. Correct. And you have to get help. I mean, because right. this is this is serious at this point. I mean, Yeah, it's a very
1: serious head injury. So, um... We went to get the first aid kit, which he then had had for many years, opened it up, and everything was dried out. It was no help. He said, oh, my gosh, he told me later, I've had this for 14 years and never used it. So that was of no help. He, again, just tried to check my head, and he didn't want to take the beanie off because that's what was holding my the skin on my head together. So we discussed what to do. He said, uh, we have two choices. I can leave you here in the tent, but you have a very serious head injury if you get unconscious, we had read enough about tales of these things. That Stay away. You often die, yeah. He said, but the only thing is we have to walk out. And I don't know how long that's going to take. And so he said, at this point, let me just get some basic supplies, some water, and um, we'll try to um, see what we can do. And walk out, that's the only thing I can suggest. He got me patched up as well as he could. He got water, he got supplies for the night, and we started to walk.
0: Really? Do you remember the walk?
1: I don't remember the beginning of the walk. I do remember the end of the walk and the middle of the walk. Um, I had to walk very slowly. He was very patient with me.
0: Were you, could, could you say that during that time, like you were afraid or scared or, or what were you no, at peace? What, what was the I why? I was at
1: peace. I don't know why, uh, but it was like it was the only thing I could do, not to exaggerate or elaborate on it, but, or, or die is what we thought. So I do remember then, apparently this is hours later, that was probably a six to seven, and then even then it wasn't out. Um, I remember Dan, who's a a fellow believer, screaming to God, just yelling, God, you have to send me somebody. I can't do this alone. You must send me somebody. Now, we were- Because
0: he didn't think he could get you out.
1: Right, and it was just too much. We were going too slow. It's getting darker and you know all of that. We both look up and up walks somebody with a knapsack, with a backpack on, full backpack hiker, just like us, and we're just shocked.
0: I mean, because you haven't seen there's. We haven't up seen there.
1: anybody, and we know there's not anybody there. We know no one has climbed that mountain for over nine months. And so the gentleman looks up and he says, "Oh my goodness, guys, you look like you're, you're in trouble. You need help." And Dan says, "Yes, we need help." And the guy said, "Okay, well, I have extensive medical training, and I have a full medical kit with me in my backpack." My good. Then he says something which is the next miracle, he says, uh, and I don't know what your faith is, but I'm a believer. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And so it's like, oh my goodness, this is too much. So we all confer, What basically they confer. It was decided that Dan, Now remember Dan, we've already hiked in the day before in a very hard trail. We've already got up at the crack of dawn. We've already climbed to 13 13ers. He's saved my life. He's walking down with me, and he says, the only thing we can do is I need to run down the mountain with my phone in my hand. And as soon as I can get coverage, I will call search and rescue. The gentleman does whatever he can for me. And the gentleman now and I start walking down together very slowly. And Dan is gone. Dan is running down the mountain. Well, hours go by and Dan runs back up the mountain and uh, says, I got coverage. I called search and rescue. From the point where I got coverage, they can come in now and rescue us. But we have to get down to that point. So we start walking down to that point and we get down there quite a bit of time later and there's no one there. So now it's like, what are we going to do? So now we have phone coverage, okay? But we're still densely in the middle of the woods. And so he calls and he says, where are you? Where are you? And he says, we're here, we're here. We have whistles, we'll whistle. And so they blow these whistles and sure enough, we hear them. So two of them from search and rescue had made it up that far. And they said to me, um, Okay, i got some good news and some bad news. Uh The good news is we're here, and there's a full search and rescue party coming out to get you. The bad news is we can't rescue you from here. We can't get in with anything. You're going to have to climb another small mountain to get out. In
0: other words, they couldn't carry you on a cot or anything. They couldn't they get anything You had to in. actually do it, walk Remember,
1: we are in a very densely blow-down area, and so we had to go up another terrain, another small mountain, whatever you want to call it, And so we start that journey. Now it's hours and hours climbing up with Dan again, taking care of me. And now I have two search and rescue guys with me. And then I don't remember what happened. Um, They said that I just collapsed. And so I collapsed. And then in the meantime, not known to me, the search party comes up. The next thing I know, I I open my eyes and there's this gentleman. He says, I'm the, and I don't, don't have all of these right, but he was a, a mixed bag of titles. He was the head of search and rescue. He was the sheriff. And I think he was one other. He was a doctor. And <laughs> and I thought, wow, I am in the country, you know. And he says, he says, I don't know how you did this. He said, you must be in great physical shape. And, of course, I wasn't able to tell him, let me tell you, God save me. But, and he said, and you will not believe this, but you fell to from where we had planned to coordinate the rescue.
0: Really? Yes,
1: yes. And I was right there. And of course, I never knew it because I just collapsed. Well, I collapsed two feet from where they had already predetermined the rescue. Then a few hours go by when uh, Search and Rescue, the party comes up, and they decide how they're going to get me down. Too dense for a helicopter. So you're
0: still in the
1: boonies. Um, Deep in the boonies, still. Oh, my goodness. So they had this new thing where they had this uh, 4x4 come up, you know, this, the little ones. And so they brought these uh, this little 4Runner up, this little thing with four-wheel drive, and uh-huh. it had a long pole attached to like a trailer type thing. There was this wooden stretcher and then a seat for a doctor where my head would be. So we have this little... Or by going down and this long pole with a wooden stretcher and this doctor holding my head and Dan still Dan is still alive and kicking. And so he and the, some of the other team have to go down and remove large rocks and small boulders from the path. Cause now they have to get me down without shaking. Yeah, me this so is much.
0: like the never ending <laughs> journey. <laughs> yes,
1: it is. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, Oh Lord, I made it this far. Walked all day, got here, collapsed, came to, and I'm going to die on this stretcher. <laughs> they're they're going to they're dump me, <clears throat> you know. So I think that took a long time to get down because it was about 11 o'clock now in the evening uh, when finally we saw the ambulance, and the ambulance had been there for hours waiting because it was so hard to get me down. So then I go off to a hospital, and the hospital was treating me, and I remember, and they, they did a fine job, And I was in triage, and uh, I remember looking up and seeing some gal. She looked to me at about me, 27 or so, and she's stitching my head up dozens of stitches to get my flaps back together. And although they were doing a fine job, I thought, I've got to get to the University of Colorado Hospital.
0: (laughs) Now, during this time, had your family been (laughs) notified yet?
1: Yes, and this is a whole other uh, story. Uh, My wife was away. She was in a, a wedding in New York. Mm-hmm. She was, of course, unfortunately, little by little, her uh, phone had gone dead. She was in a rural area herself. So she came back from dinner, and uh, her phone was charged then. And she saw all these calls in. Well, the first couple of calls came in that I was dead. Oh, well, that my was, goodness. That was not the best uh, news to have her greet up by. And then she went through the cycle of calls, and, of course, people thought I was dead. And then, they, said, no, no, he's out of hospital. He's getting stitched. And so she did an elaborate job of somehow going from that city to this city, getting a plane, coming home, and that's another story. But I am literally thinking, I've not that the hospital spam, but I have to get, I have to go to the University of Colorado Hospital. I knew nobody. I knew what we could do. By that time... So um, that was probably,
0: I mean, <laughs> honestly, probably an inspired thought. It was probably God encouraging you to do just
1: Yes, that. and I, the rest of the story is amazing. And so my son comes, and they release me to my son. So my son gets me home and it's the next morning, just as my wife drives, if she sees I'm alive and, but she sees I'm in bad shape. And so what she had done is amazing. We have a niece who is a plastic surgeon in Atlanta. She called him coming home, realizing that I was in bad shape. We had not talked about my desire to get to the University of Colorado hospital. She said, please call. Somebody could do you a professional courtesy if you could get a plastic surgeon to look at Doug. Yeah,
0: because this was serious business. The serious business. My yeah. face
1: was destroyed. She does. She gets a hold of one of the top plastic surgeons at USC. explains who she is, and he says as a professional courtesy, I will do that for you.
0: So, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Doug, you look pretty good. You don't look like yeah, you have no, of any kind. Well,
1: I've got 10 plates in my face.
0: No, you have 10 yeah. plates. You so, you've got to be kidding yeah. me. So,
1: Doreen had done this and arranged for it. So, the next day we, we go up there. He came out of the initial studying all the x-rays and stuff they had given him and said, this is much worse. Uh, we have to operate tomorrow. <laughs> so, clears the schedule. And uh, I go into surgery up in University of, Colorado hospital and it was supposed to be a five-hour operation it was a eight-hour operation and I came out and the stories again that they told I mean he said at their certain point especially with your cheekbone he said we pulled pieces of your cheekbone out put it on a plate glued it back together and put it back in your face
0: you are kidding no, me. dozens
1: and dozens. And they went in through a small hole in my cheek, and they did all these things, restoring one side of my face totally. And I mean, was, you had
0: the best surgeon one of the best possible surgeons. in yeah. the best hospital yes. possible. Yes. That in itself is a miracle.
1: It really is. And so then, um you know, I had to go back for checkups, et cetera, and so on. And the process was going wonderfully, and I made the determination – that I was going to be back on top of a fourteen in a hundred days, and so did camp, you make it i did <laughs> <laughs> well, you know
0: what 's interested me during all of this time, what was happening to you once you had your mind back, once you could think clearly, once you had you were ready for surgery or whatever what what did you think about perhaps spiritually or in your heart i mean what was going
1: on? Well, we realized that I think in those moments. You don't think clearly. I mean, I was still not thinking clearly because of the severity of my injury. Dan had one thing on his mind, rescue me. He saved my life. Uh So we weren't thinking maybe as clearly as we could have been, but clearly enough to be saved. Both of us are believers. Dan prayed his way down, prayed for me the whole way. His prayer was answered when this gentleman, who, by the way, wasn't supposed to be on that mountain that day, he Is changed right? his mind at the last minute. That's what he told Dan, Said I wasn't even supposed to be here. Without him, his brothers you, you, in wouldn't Christ, have, you
0: wouldn't have made it at all. I don't, I
1: don't know what would have happened along the way. So many people were part of this life-saving, miraculous experience. Oh,
0: I'll tell you what, has this changed you in any way? You know,
1: it's interesting. Um, it's not like, okay, like you're in a foxhole. Lord, if you get me out of here, I'm going to not do this or do this or uh-huh. something like that. But it was first a realization of all that I had preached about all these years being so true. God is there for you and miracles do occur. It was uh, a setting of my mind of, okay, now, what am I going to do? And how am I going to do it? But, you know, I can't say it was a catharsis. Uh It was just a, a, a gracious gratitude for the miracles that had happened to me that day and allow me to continue my, my work, which then was in the ministry.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to do in these podcasts is reveal the grace of God in the lives of people. Right. And if there's ever a story that reveals the grace of yeah. God in someone's life, this is it. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it's an amazing story. I've heard that, and I heard you tell this at church very briefly. Oh, yes,
1: I just shared but it. But the
0: details that you've gone in today, this is absolutely a miraculous story. I mean, I'm just I'm just amazed that you're walking today yeah. after that happened.
1: You know, especially you hear people who you know. I'm a pastor, so I, I have opportunity to minister to lots of people who are injured. And, you know, someone slips off a bike and is in a coma for three months. Someone slips on a piece of ice and has brain damage. And here I tumble down 200-yard rock-filled field of stone and...
0: Well, here's one thought for you before we wrap this up. And I'm just thinking in terms of our audience, there are people who have had friends and family and and others have serious injuries and so forth. Having been through this yourself, the fact that you're a minister, is there anything specific you can help people? How, How do you minister, talk to, or help somebody through a real tragedy?
1: And I think, you know, God has his timing and God has his ways. And so we never know what will happen, of course, Things that happen in this world, God knows about. And we have a God who knows about what will happen and knows that he can take care of it when it happens. And mine is, of course, a special story of direct miracles. But mine is also a story of individuals who know Christ and God working through them, using them. I mean, I'm supposed to be a ministry to the congregation and pray for them. I had literally hundreds and hundreds of people praying for me. You know, when I went back for these checkups, the doctor couldn't believe the rapid recovery, and hardly anyone could believe I was back on top of a 14 Well,
0: day. you know, Three when months. I heard your story, then I saw you at church within a few weeks, and you were still bruised, and, yes. and, and you looked like you had fallen, but yeah. not like you had had the kind of fall you took. Yes, sir. And yeah. I thought that was pretty amazing that you were even there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I
1: wanted to come and show him I was... I was still around.
0: Have you thought of writing a book to tell this story?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Well, I would encourage you to consider that. (laughs) It's it's worth telling. In fact, this could be a movie. It's that good. I mean, you've you've told it in a very calm way and and what happened. But the truth of it is this was dramatic. The whole thing was dramatic. There's just tremendous drama in there. And I just want to thank you again for coming and telling your story. And I think this is going to bless a lot of people out there to hear this. So I hope so. For those of you who are listening, thank you for listening. And remember this, you too may have a story that will help somebody else in their life. If you do, I would love to hear it. Get a hold of me at mygrandpajimmy.com or mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com and tell me your story. Maybe you're going to be the one that helps somebody else. Thank you for listening.